Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I'm your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Amy Pease. Amy is an alumnus of the University of Wisconsin and the Madison Writer Studio and works as a nurse practitioner where she is a nationally recognized HIV specialist. She lives in Wisconsin with her husband and two children, and Northwoods is her first novel. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my God, thanks for being here. And this was such a, such a, such a fun read. I, I we are now speaking on the day after Christmas, um, and I was up late last night finishing this because, uh, of course, Christmas, you know, made it hard to find the time. But what a thrilling read. Can you tell our listeners about Northwoods? Yeah, Northwoods is a contemporary mystery thriller, and it's set in the Northwoods of Wisconsin in a town, a fictional town called Shaky Lake, which is a really... Um, a common style of Northwoods Lake Resort Town. And it focuses on um, Marge, who is the sheriff of the small town, and her son, Eli, who's her deputy. And um, especially focuses on Eli. He is a military veteran going through a lot, to say the least. Um, And he, in the course of one night's work, comes across the body of a dead boy um, and then come to find several hours later that the boy's friend is missing. So um, then the FBI gets involved. It becomes a much larger case than Shaky Lake. Um, And also this is all going down when Eli is really hitting rock bottom in his personal life. Yeah, but you know, I and I read um on my uh, yesterday on my podcast for the my quote of the week. I read for them the beginning of this, and normally I find it. Uh, I like to find a passage sort of in the middle, but that beginning passage where you know Eli is in the water, um, and like you said, sort of drowning in his like mm-hmm. m- you know, meta you know metaphorically in his life, um, his you know he's a going through a divorce his uh he doesn't have as much access to his son Andy it's really uh it sets a beautiful setup for him and I love um his vulnerability and his mother says something um later in the book when when sort of talking about his his father's um deceased was killed in the line uh, line of duty and he's she talks about how he is such how he's always been such a gentle soul Eli and so we have this his mom is this tough woman. She's tiny. I love the fact that she's a little tiny person. He's a bigger guy, but she's this tiny person and she's the sheriff of this town where kind of everything is is provided by volunteers, right? Like they get they get donated uh, their uniforms and their food and they they're in the basement of some, you know, kind of rundown building on Main Street. It's a their budget is almost non-existent, right? And he had this huge job and you know a really successful job with fish and wildlife before um he was deployed and when he came back the the job was um eliminated his role was eliminated so he is there's just this beautiful setup you, you do with with who he is and where he comes from and um and you and he's so sympathetic without ever you know without he never doesn't want our sympathy and yet we love him kind of from the first pages which i thought was 
such a beautiful, such, such a wonderful thing you did and so beautifully um, orchestrated. And I find it sometimes hard to really um, engage with a character so quickly. So congratulations mm -hmm. on that. That was beautiful. Thank um, you. And the whole, you know, the story. And I, so let's talk a little bit about sort of, this is your debut novel, which, you know, um, we know is a huge deal. Can you tell us a little bit about, was this the first book you've ever written? Um, how, what was your sort of, if you don't mind telling us your publishing, you know, trajectory, how did you get here? Yeah, the journey, right. So yes, Northwoods is the first thing I've ever written beyond, you know, like an a essay for college or something like that. So, but when I was a kid, I, my great grandpa gave me his copy, his first edition, 1908 copy of Anne of Green Gables when I was maybe eight or nine and I read it and I loved it. And for anyone who's read the book, they know that Anne becomes an author. And so I thought, okay, well, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, and fast forward 30 plus years later, I finally got around to doing that. Um, so, and, and just, you know, cause I know the question comes up a lot. Well, where'd you get the idea for the book? For me, it was an exercise in boredom. So I tell my kids, you know, they whine, oh, I'm bored. Okay. Well, being bored is a great time to exercise your imagination. So I was really bored just on a commute to work. And I challenged myself to just think of a scene, any scene. And it was the opening scene of Northwoods. In fact, that scene is almost unchanged from the first draft. Um, but anyway, as far as my publishing journey, I didn't go to school for writing or anything like that. I mean, I went the practical route and I've been a nurse practitioner for 20 years. Um, but I worked on Northwoods. It just right from the beginning felt very vivid. Like there was a story there in my mind that was that wanted to come out. Yeah. Um, and so I took probably two years to write the first draft. I mean, I had a baby and I had another baby. And <laughs> they get so away, don't they? Those babies they do. I tell you. <laughs> they do more so than my job, because I also had a full-time job. I do still have a full-time job. And so very slowly I wrote that. And then I was, I did the writer's um studio, like a revising your first draft workshop, um, run by an author named Michelle Wilgen, who's amazing. And Two years later, I decided it was ready for beta readers. So I scrounged up like maybe I think eight or 10 people to read it and then polish it up and then started querying agents, like very traditional trajectory of trying to get traditionally published. Um, and that went very quickly. So I found an agent within about mm, two months and then we did a little bit more polishing and then she sent it off to editors and that also went very quickly and i'm with emily bessler books which is like um an imprint of atria which is an imprint of simon and schuster so it's really an awesome awesome imprint to work for because it's very boutique and yet has all of the resources and infrastructure behind the bigger publishers and worked with my editor laura on even a little bit more publish or polishing and they wanted it to be released in January. I sold it in June of 2022 and had to wait until January, 2024, yeah. you know, and the book was essentially written already when I sold it. So it's right. been 
a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, so I wanted, because first of all, you know how, I'm sure people have told you how extraordinary it is that you found an agent so quickly and that you found a publisher so quickly. And like you said, Emily Bessler is amazing. I love Emily's books. Um, My friend Connor Sullivan is also an Emily Mm -hmm. Bessler book. Um, He lives here in my same Montana town. He, um, but, but I think it's really interesting and important and clearly speaks a lot about you that you took two years to write it and then you took two years to revise it and then you did your big I mean you did all the things first because I think a lot of us that first book were like it's done it's ready let's get it out you know and I think the fact that you took the time because you really only have one shot to make that first impression which is especially as a debut you know if it's your first book and you're submitting it I think taking that time and and making it as good as it can possibly be even if it takes an extra year you know is really really worth it and that is you know that's indicative of sort of your personality because I was like let's just send it out you know let's just (laughs) so um my process was um slower I mean it you know took me I think it you know took I think there were 60 agents or 50 agents. It was a lot. I have stacks Mm -hmm. of rejection letters um, that are very deep. Although this was back in the day when nothing was electronic. So Mm -hmm. I have them all on paper. Um, But I can, so I love, so this North Woods, like, you know, I've heard a little bit about, we have a mutual friend, Hannah Morrissey, who's in Wisconsin. And she has that Black Harbor town, which is another sort Mm -hmm. of Wisconsin town. But this Shaky Lake is a very, you know, for those of us who are not in Wisconsin and haven't been to the North Woods, it is a very distinct, you know, feeling. It, it feels very differently from like, you know, a southern, small southern town or a small, you know, north, northeastern town, northwestern town. Um, did you grow, you obviously grew up in Wisconsin, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you visit the North Woods? Do people do that as kids? Is that sort of how oh, yeah. Yeah, we call it, we, we call it, I mean, I'm from Green Bay, but we, it's called going up north. So, oh, we're going to go up north to the cabin, right? My family didn't have a cabin, but I know plenty of people did. And we would go up there and, you know, rent a cabin or go camping or something like that. And it's the nostalgia of it. I think people would be amazed that places like this still exist Yeah. Um, in a good way. And I think of, you know, my sister used to live in New York City and she lived in Brooklyn and you go to all these like really hipster bars. They're just Northwoods taverns planted into Brooklyn, you know, with the PBR and everything. That's right? just the way it is still. And it's just a really special place. Very, um, it's, it's, I think nostalgic is probably the best word for it. And yeah, beautiful feels- too. Yeah, it sounds like it. It, sound, it does sound like it, nothing is quite um, up to date. And then tell us about the FBI agent, because that was another really, I loved, loved, loved her. And I had the sense, and I hope I'm right, that this is, there's another book coming. Oh, yeah. Northwoods. Okay. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. Because I was like, if this is how we end it, and no. I know we see these people again, I'm going to be very upset. So no, that was- I think that, yeah, we, I, I wish that we had a way to make it clear that this was the beginning of a series, because there are a lot of like net galley reviewers that were like, this just ends like this. No way. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah, and it's, it's a series. I, it, it t- you know, readers are so funny, but it does absolutely tie. I want to be clear. It ties up the story very beautifully. What mm-hmm. we're not done with is the characters. Like you yes. said, I mean, we're not done with Eli and we're definitely not done. Tell us about the FBI agent. Cause she comes from Chicago mm-hmm. and she's, you know, to just give us a little introduction. Cause she's fabulous. 
Sure. So um, the FBI sort of shows up on the doorstep of this small town sheriff's department um, to, you know, help out with the disappearance of the girl. And um, Alyssa is like a professional. She, the, her job is her focus and mm -hmm. she's very smart. She's very, um, I would say she's very emotionally intelligent too. Like she knows the little nuances of how to interview people and how to put pressure on people. And that comes into play not only with the um, investigation, but also in her interaction with Eli, uh -huh. which is important because like I said, Eli is going through a really rough space yeah. um, and sort of in an unlikely turn of events, Alyssa is one of the people who really kind of helps him turn it around. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a testament to just, I think the connection that the two of them have right from the get-go mm -hmm. um, and and also just who she is as an investigator, but also as a, like an empathetic person. Yeah, no, she's wonderful. And I think she walks in the door and she looks like she's 20 and everyone's like, mm -hmm. oh my God. And then it turns out, of course, she's been on the job for a decade and she's not at all 20. I mean, she mm -hmm. she's very young looking. And I like that there's, there's a few hints we get about her, like, uh, you know, her her clothes move and there's clearly she's been injured right and there's so there's a lot of things you plant that we don't get resolution to which mm -hmm. i think just speaks to the beautiful beginning of a series and like you said there's a connection um between them that i know you will also explore that i was just like it was so you know wonderful and i think there's something they're all damaged right i mean M eli's mom marge um and we're going to talk about mothers and daughters because of course our mothers and children because i um this is killer women and i love to you know sort of really dig into the women but before we leave Alyssa and eli she also definitely and you, you we learned very little about her uh, her her life in chicago you know we learned a little bit about jason she's engaged he's a rocket science scientist um and uh but there's so much more that we know is coming and so one of the things i think is so impressive about your writing style is that you do give us this we know there's a lot of depth although mm -hmm. we don't get it all um there's the promise of a lot of depth and i think that is sets up a beautiful you know series uh style and arc you know sort of the archetype of these characters we know there's going to be a lot more things that come so um so i i'm just i'm just telling you i thought it was fabulous well, I'm I think the gushing. backstory backstory to me is what makes fiction really good. Like when you read a book, I mean, there are, there are plenty of books out there that it really isn't about the characters and that's okay. But if you're writing character-driven fiction, like Northwoods is for sure character-driven, yeah. um, having the backstory at a really intense depth is so important. It makes all the difference. And I think of authors who clearly must have the most intense backstory with their characters. And it, the, those books always just blow me out of the water. So do you feel like, so are you doing, you know, when you go att attempt backstory, it sounds like, you know, the scene with Eli in the water was sort of your original vision. Did you then, do you do, you do that where you go back and try to figure out sort of how did Eli get to this place? Obviously, we know he was in Afghanistan. Something really horrible happened there. And we do learn what that is in the course of the book. But I mean, besides that, which makes, you know, we know, of course, from our personal experience about post, you know, trauma and all of that. But what what else, you know, how else do you learn the 
this, the characters, you know, because that's really what matters is that the author knows the character so well that you can yeah. put in those little bits. Well, Eli must have just lived in my head for years because I he was he was born with me fully knowing who, who he was and the little details like events in his life. I sort of just dreamed up, you know, in between writing sessions when I didn't have time to actually sit down and write, I would think about these characters and about the story a lot. Um, but he was, I've known him right from the beginning. And that was another reason why I felt like this story was worth putting the work in to write the book and see it through to the end. Yeah. Now, is he somebody, do you feel like he's based on somebody, you know, do you have a, you know, personal experience with vets? Okay. Just, no, just... you know, he, in a way he's a trope, you know, like the wounded warrior, like the hero. Yes. He's, yeah. he's such a, a absolute stereotypical hero. Yeah. And of course you have to, I, and I love that. I love books where you can really know that the protagonist is the good guy. Yeah, um, because there's a lot of anti-heroes and, and those books can be great, too. But I just wanted a story where, you know, that you can root for these people, Yeah, um, you know, but that we can't make him just a stereotype, obviously. No, and he's nowhere near perfect, right? No, no. He's, you know, he's really a mess, really, really a mess and messing up a lot of people's lives by being such a mess. Mm -hmm. Um but but he he's a he started out as a little bit of a stereotype and then I got to know him better and I think that's the Eli that you see in the book and that you'll see in subsequent books you know he yeah. isn't always going to be literally or figuratively about ready to jump off a, a cliff you know yeah yeah exactly yeah so speaking of that right his mother Marge and he's an only child and mm -hmm. um you know we have we have these you know we actually have these three kid three kids and three mothers all of whom had only children, right? We have a, and the, and the, this whole thing is set in the backdrop of the opioid crisis. So we've got, a, you know, we've got these, you know, dangerous drugs out there, things happening. And there's layers of that that we won't talk about because they're so, you know, they're so pivotal to the mystery part of it. And and you have to read the book to, to get all that. So you want to go grab your copy. But mm -hmm. we have these mothers and daughters, uh, mothers, I keep saying that, mothers and children. So Marge, you know, is the sheriff and her son, her son is Eli. And then we have, you know, these other two. Tell us about that because they're the, Ben's mother. Uh, ben is the kid who is found dead. And then Caitlin mm -hmm. is missing. And they're, mm -hmm. they're sort of friends through, but only in this town, right? They live in different places and um, they visit this town in the summer right? Yeah. This is their sort of summer spot. So, and those moms, you know, are also raising these kids who are teenagers. So tell us a little bit about them, because I think they add so much depth to the story as well. Well, you know, parent-child relationships are something that we, that most of us can relate to. Um, yeah. And there's certainly something that I deal with every single day. I've got kids. So, it's sort of just this forefront of your mind, you know, like obviously your characters are going to have kids involved. Um, and honestly, I hadn't really thought till you just mentioned it about how it's three mothers and their kids, you know, they're mm -hmm. single, they're, they're only child children. Yeah. And the differences and the similarities between those stories, between those relationships, you know, Rachel is Ben's mother and Rachel is suffering from addiction. And then we look at Caitlin's mother, Beth, and she seems to have it all together. And yet her husband has gone missing. 
And then Marge has this relationship with her son that's so great, but her son is floundering. So I think overall, when I was writing the book, my my goal was to make it realistic. You know, like what, because I think, you know, sometimes there could be criticism of, well, not, some of this is a little bit far-fetched, but the, the truth is it really isn't. You know, we we all live with quite a bit of drama in our lives, even you know, when we have stable lives and it's just human. Right. Well, you compare Rachel, who's an addict, right? Um, to like Marge, who's a sheriff. And you, you think, well, these are women with totally different, you know, power um, dynamics, right? Marge is in mm-hmm. charge and, mm-hmm. uh, and Rachel is really falling apart. And her husband is, um, you know, divorcing her or, yeah, her husband is the, the plan is to be divorced. And um, and yet, like, really, when it comes down to our children, there's nothing that can kind of level us, right? It's the it's the loss of a child, the fear of losing a child, the fear of a child hurting his or herself. Uh, and, that, and each of them, each of those mothers is dealing with that in a very real way. And it really does. I love the relationship, which we only get a little taste of between Marge and Rachel. You know, Rachel, who's been coming to the lake every year. Um, and who's, you know, was also a nurse, right? Rachel was a mm-hmm. nurse um, and her husband is a, a physician. And she, you know, she basically was this really st- strong person and she's lost her footing in a similar way that Eli has lost his footing. And Marge is there for her. She says, you know, I'm here. If you if you need me, I'm here. And, mm-hmm. um, and the way the community watched out uh, over Ben, um, in particular, like Dan Simmons, who's just a one-off character. I mean, he's, you know, he's not, actively involved in the plot he's sort of a he got in trouble early spent some time in jail was released and he took, takes an active interest in Ben and you can picture this really this tiny town where when people you know when when people come from the outside it's probably there's probably a lot of people from the outside but the ones who come over and over and over sort of get enveloped in the in the town as a family and mm-hmm. so people watch out for one another um you know even if they you know even if they're they don't always agree, see eye to eye on lots of things, right? Like mm-hmm. the people at um, at the babes um, bait shop and uh-huh. <laughs> and bar where um, Alyssa babes bait and tackle, yeah, babes bait and tackle, um, <laughs> where everybody goes for um, you know where they go. Eli and Alyssa end up for a drink, and we learn a, a lot more about Eli by the way that people around him are. It's just I just think that there's all these beautiful details that are sort of that are sprinkled throughout that in the end really do come together to sort of bring this town to life, which is really um it's just absolutely beautifully done. And I enjoyed it. I'm I'm really just gushing. I don't always gush, but I oh, really, really that's so nice I really, thanks. I really, really loved it. And I do really look forward to um to getting to know Eli. Can you tell us anything about um the next book? I know sometimes the answer is absolutely no. Well, I'm not under contract for it. So I suppose I could say whatever I want. Um, so yeah, it's you, basically after this book wraps up, Alyssa heads back to Chicago, back to her life. That's that end of story, except fast <laughs> forward a year and she's back in Shaky Lake for mm-hmm. another investigation. And these all you know, it's a continuation of the big investigation that's in, uncovered in the course of book one, in mm-hmm. course of Northwoods. Um, but she and Eli, 
you know, I think that they accidentally found kindred spirits in each other. So that's something you can't just let go, you know, it's gotta, uh -huh. it's gotta be the fundamental, um, I think, underpinning of the series. Yeah. No, they had such a good dynamic. Okay, so talk. We're going to talk about the publishing side of this for a little bit because this is another sort of really, you know, common scenario. Is you sold one book, right? You did a mm -hmm. one book deal, and of course, everybody they want to see how the book does, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously they have. I hope they have the first right of refusal, right? You will yeah. submit the book to them. So, mm -hmm. um, and I'm, you know, this is this is another part of it, right? So we have, you have to wait. Um, are you done with the new book? No, no, I am on the second draft, but, okay. you know, for reference, like a finished modern novel is like 90,000 words. Northwoods is about 90,000 words. Uh, my first and second drafts are in the like 30,000 word range. So arguably they're just very detailed synopses. Uh -huh. Um, so I'm just getting to the point where I'm starting to fill in the blanks. But for me, coming up with the plot is the hard part, especially with mystery. And I really like complex mysteries where uh -huh. you're juggling a lot of different things, a lot of different breadcrumbs sprinkled throughout and it's yeah. all coming together at the end, which I hope I did with Northwoods. I mean, that was definitely intense. Yes. Um but to do that is hard. Like, does it get easier as a writer yourself? Can I ask, does it get easier? <laughs> I don't want to be discouraging. Um, <laughs> but in, no. in, some, in some ways it does. In some ways, like mm -hmm. doing it, you know, I get whatever. I think I'm on book six, uh, 16 or 17 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it gets easier because you know you can do it, right? Yeah. And yeah. in some ways it gets easier because you find your community to talk to. I, I think fellow writers are really good at being, you know, you call one and say, I've got this problem. And sometimes just talking it out, you solve it. Or they say like two words and you're like, oh, it's brilliant. That helps, you know. Uh -huh. um, but no, also not, you know, also doesn't <laughs> use it. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, but but one of the things I appreciate is that th there is this sense in this in this crazy publishing world that you should have a book out every year, which mm -hmm. is unsustainable, especially for somebody with, sounds like your children are young. Mm -hmm. They're second and third grade. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm close together. So well, my husband you, works full time too. So. Right. So, um, you know, and of course, like we all know also that publishing isn't going to, doesn't pay enough for any of us to really retire very quickly. So, right. um, so basically, yeah, you, it has, you have to be realistic. And I think sort of sticking to the idea that the, the quality of the book is more important than the speed of publication, yeah. um, yeah. which I think is, you know, I think that's really admirable. And, you know, right now, I think for your, for your life, it sounds like you're doing the books justice, which yeah, it's a hard line to sort of hold, right. When everyone's like, when will it be done? And you're like, yeah, oh. well, and I think you, I, I hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it, but I think that the reason that the public, that my publishing journey has gone fairly smoothly is because I did the work up front before I started querying. Like I made sure that that, but the, the draft, the finished manuscript is very similar. I think I added one scene because the plot, <laughs> this was in like the copy editing phase where the plot wasn't quite fleshed out yet and I was just like oh my gosh have I written myself into a corner um yeah so it's I I think especially with mystery series there are there's definitely the pressure to put out a book every year mm -hmm. um I aspire to that but 
I certainly couldn't do it unless I was able to cut my day job way, way back. Right. Um, right. You know, and that's my goal. But a <laughs> Who lot knows when that's going to happen? But look at like, um, is it Alan Eskins who wrote um, Defending Jacob? I mean, there yes. are lots of people who don't put a book out every year, right? Who yes. are very um, successful, write beautiful books. And they just, they just, that just don't. And I think that is something to sort of acknowledge. And as a, you know, as a reader, of course, readers are like, well, we love this book. We want the next one like tomorrow, but they mm -hmm. also have to appreciate that, you know, that, a, that to have a book that is, that is, you know, so well written and so, and so intricate, like you said, the plot points are very, and you do, you leave us open for this isn't quite done, done. Parts of it are done. Uh, there's mm -hmm. definitely a bigger, you know, this, this opioid crisis and there's a pharmaceutical company involved and there's lots of, there's things, you know, that are coming. Um, yes. And then, you know, and you leave us in a position where we, we, who we think at the end might be responsible kind of can't necessarily be responsible for all of it. I'll leave mm -hmm. that very vague because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But, um, mm -hmm. but so yeah, so there's a whole, there's, there's questions at the end in a way that is really, um, they will have readers reading again. And, you know, I think people who love series will, when it, the second book comes out, they will be, they will go back and revisit Northwoods before they, before they dig into the second one, because they don't want to miss any of the sort of intricacies and you will have lived in it. Um, and you'll do the work so that we will be able to, the two books will tie together beautifully. So yeah. I, you know, I have faith in Emily Bessler and her team um, mm -hmm. to know that, that what you have here is really magical. So, but I think yeah. there's now we have, now you have to sort of like, you can enjoy this incredible rush of having the book out and all this excitement. And then, and then you go back to your cave and do the work. Oh, I know. I know. I well, I'm in my like library cave right now um, because my kids are off school, and there's no way I could ever have an hour, you know, to myself to to do this yeah. podcast interview. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I definitely, even though the goal would be to do books at, at like quicker than once every five years, like this pace has been for Northwoods. I I'm thankfully someone who. If it doesn't happen that fast, it's fine. You know, yeah. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. I think Good. partly my the line of work I'm in as a healthcare provider, sometimes you just have to be like, well, eh, we do our best. Yeah. Um, yeah. And understand that, you know, keep it in perspective. It's easier to keep it in perspective, I suppose, when, you know, you kind of put it in the whole grand scheme of life. Yes, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. Well, and that's let's just talk for a moment about your. It sounds like you're an HIV specialist. How did you mm -hmm. come to? You know, how did you end up there? That's a really, I mean, well, fascinating. I've, yeah, so I've been doing that for about eight years, um, and it's awesome. It's so like I don't. Is it wrong to say it's fun? The the thing <laughs> with HIV these days is that the medication we have is tremendous. I mean, you just take the medication and you live your same life. So it's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, but I've always been in practice with marginalized communities, with folks who have faced stigma. And I think one thing that that's taught me is to push back against stereotypes mm -hmm. and especially with mental health and addiction um, because it's it's just so common. It's so common. I I challenge people to name a person who's never been affected by 
mental health or addiction or both, yeah. you know, whether themselves or a close loved one, it, it's relatable. It really is. And it yeah. needs to be talked about more. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is one of the reasons that I made Eli, you know, he gets teased, Alyssa teases him at one point that he looks like a Disney prince. Oh, right. You know? uh-huh. And he's this huge, like burly, like muscular lumberjack cake. Yeah, totally. yeah. He's a lumberjack beefcake. And very good looking. And I wanted to push back against the stereotype of what, you know, an alcoholic looks like. Yeah. Right. Because you don't know, you just don't know the stereotype isn't true true. and it's natural to stereotype. That's just a human thing to do. But I wanted people to know that that isn't the reality. And same thing with Rachel. I was going to say everybody. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Rachel too. And, you know, and yeah. And, and, Dan Simmons being this sort of grisly, like doesn't give a shit. And yet he mm-hmm. isn't right. He has this real soft spot. So mm-hmm. there's all those. Be- and I think that's right. I think one of the things I love about fiction is that it gives us an, an you know, a look into a world we would otherwise never know. It's mm-hmm. I do, you know, it's the, you know, a man lives one life, a reader lives a thousand lives or whatever the thing is, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I think it's so true. And I think for those of us who grew up in, you know, not in a marginalized community who had, you know, all these, you know, resources and, and lived, you know, without such real hardship, it's such an important thing to understand what other people might be going through. And I think it gives us, you know, a real insight into, into what the, you know, what the world needs, which is absolutely like support for people with addiction and mental health. And, and it is, worse it seems to me it's worse now than ever before right the way it impacts well the pandemic yeah the pandemic you know social media I have you know my children are grown-ish they're 21 and 23 I mean it is yeah it's a it's a really hard world to live in and we were worried about like the cold war when I was um you know when I was in my growing up and they they have just a much different um yeah Life, I know life. I tell my coworkers because I've got coworkers who are like your kids' age, and I know I'm just like w- there wasn't the internet. There wasn't the internet when I was like growing up, right. which I feel really kind of lucky to have Me seen too. that world too. Um, you know, and going back to the healthcare provider thing um, with the pharmaceutical company that you mentioned that comes mm-hmm. into play, um, I was in grad school and my early career as a nurse practitioner at the height of Oxycontin. And I remember being at a lecture, this is University of Wisconsin. This is not, you know, some shady place, a lecture where they taught us about pain management. And of course it was all focused on Oxycontin, really. Mm -hmm. And it was given by a well-respected physician, et cetera. and then did you see Dope Sick or read the book? I have it. Uh-uh. Okay. Well, I started watching it and it was great, except for I had to stop. It was too, it was like a gut punch. Yeah. Even the names of the episodes, for example, were the fifth vital sign or breakthrough pain. These are all clinical terms that we were taught in school and come to find out they were all manufactured by Richard Sackler to mm-hmm. sell Oxycontin, you know, and mm-hmm. we it, it's 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 made me very cynical, but also yeah. it's made me know the <laughs> the depths to which 
you know, big corporations will go, even in something that you would think wouldn't be touched by that, namely healthcare. Right. Um, you know, and I remember when I was, I showed my husband an early draft of the book and I was talking about the the bad actors uh, with the pharmaceutical thing. And he was like, that seems really far-fetched. Well, then fast forward a year and the whole yeah. Purdue Pharma OxyContin thing came out and I'm just like, see, you know, I mean, I, you, you right. don't even have to make this up. No. No, it's right. It's And it really is about greed. And it is so, you're right. Like if all the things that should never be impacted by money is the people's people's welfare. Um, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know if you're a demon copperhead. Oh, um, yes. Mm, I love that. And, you know, mm -hmm. even hillbilly elegy. I mean, it's really, it is interesting. But I think it's right. I think it's important to... Um, to know something about what is what is going on and to be skeptical i mean you know or even cynical because it's like mm -hmm. you know you just have to realize sort of who's behind these decisions that are made about you know our healthcare, and we have to be able to advocate for each other uh, and ourselves if we can um to make sure we're not getting you know because it i mean the stories of like athletes and everybody who you know people they just get addicted to this stuff and now we've got fentanyl on top of it and I mean, mm -hmm. it is, it is a ugly, ugly situation and you're right. I mean, to be in the healthcare, you've gotten a front row seat to, um, to it. And like you said, you were taught, it was like, it was, you know, you were, we were, you were indoctrinated in that the idea that the best, the best relief for pain management is medication. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is until it isn't right. I mean, right. yeah, it comes with a lot of guilt too, you know, and I didn't prescribe much Oxycontin, but I certainly have. Yeah. Um, and it, I wouldn't have, I'm glad in retrospect that I went for the practical career first, right? So the nursing career, as opposed to what I've always wanted to do, which is be an author, um, because I wouldn't have been able to write this book. I'd have no, right. I wouldn't have anything different to offer, you know, because yeah. there are a lot of books that talk about things like, you know, big pharma and whatever, but I, I just think having the perspective of someone who has been, you know, pressured by pharmaceutical sales reps and, yeah. you know, lied to, it, it just, and it, it I think it adds. They might be lied to. I think this pharmaceutical sales reps probably got the same speech from there. You know, there's, oh. it's a, it's a top down thing, right? So by the time the sales reps get to the doctor's offices, they believe what they're saying, or at least that's I exactly. think some of them do. And I think that's another, like we, you know, of course you feel like these are people who are trying to make people well. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, it is, it's, it's, yeah, I agree with you. And also I think it's life experience, right? I mean, you're not 20 anymore and writing yeah. a book when you're 20 is like you said, there's less, there's, we just have less insight into the world as we do yeah. when we get, as we get older. So, um, yeah. well, um, I think that's why a lot of really young authors probably write fantasy because, yeah, because there's not a lot of like real world experience to feed from when you're 20. And right. I, I think that's a great way to figure out how to, you know, create a world of your own then. Exactly. Um, you know, that's not really what I would, that's, that's not where I'm at. And I'm thankful for that, but. Um, no, I, they're incredibly creative, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Like the actual, like, you know, to take real people and you can get away with more in a fantasy as long as you like you build your world right mm -hmm. and a lot of fantasy um you know a lot of uh, protagonists in fantasy are young young people right mm -hmm. they're teenagers they're in their early i mean a lot of those protagonists end up being um 
you know, young people trying to change the world, whether it's, it's a different world maybe than yeah. the world that we live in, but yeah, it's fun. And you know, I sounds like you as well, but I read, I don't read very much nonfiction, which probably needs to be fixed, but I just, I don't either. So, I just love fiction and I, yeah. but I do read across genres and it's, it is fun to see the way that authors do things. And I think you learn something. I learn something from every single book I've, you know, I read um, mm -hmm. and, and I love it. So I'm, um, so your official, this is come, our interview is coming out on the 4th of January, which is going to be okay. here before we know it. And this is out on the 9th, which means when you're listening to this, you have, you have time to grab your copy of Northwoods. It sounds like Amy, you're going to be in the parts of Wisconsin touring. Yep. So the Madison area for sure, Milwaukee, um, Kenosha-ish, well, Waterford, which I had to look up where that was, to be honest. Um, and then <laughs> Minneapolis too, okay. uh, and Green Bay at some point. Well, um, to tell us where we can find more information about you, do you have a website or is, is your schedule listed on Instagram? Yeah. So where, what's the best place to figure out where you'll be for our um, Wisconsin readers? Yeah. So, um, Amy P's writes is my email or is my website and that has an event section that's all up to date. And so that's where folks can find where I'll be doing appearances. I have a couple of, um, virtual, uh, events with the poison pen and mysterious bookshop. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, for folks who aren't close to Madison or Milwaukee or Minneapolis, um, that would be a good good opportunity to listen in. Although I think all of them are going to be streamed as far as I know. Perfect. So just, it sounds like we can go to Amy P's and I'm sure they'll, you'll, Amy P's rights.com mm -hmm. and you can tell us, and you're also Amy P's rights. I noticed on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I try, I'm, I've got, um, I've got a, I don't think I posted it yet. I've got a graphic that's got, um, like tour dates on it that I'll Perfect. put on there one of these days in between pictures of like my puppy. <laughs> oh, did you get a, you didn't get a puppy for Christmas? No, we got a puppy in September. So he's, he's about five and a half months old. He's such a good boy, but he uh. goes to daycare and they have lots of pictures of him. So of course I have to post those. Oh my God. That's so cute. Well, I love that. <laughs> well, as if life isn't complicated. I've got two puppies right here beside me, but they're both they zonked out because, you know, Christmas was a very big, busy day with lots of people. So well, um, my little guy, my little guy, we also have a 13 year old and it's his oh. great grandfather. So it's our little legacy puppy. I love that. Oh, yeah. what kind of dogs are they? They're Welsh Springer Spaniels. My mom's oh. a dog breeder. Oh, wow. How fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did you hear the, the word dog, Teddy? He was like, <laughs> oh, we'll just say hi. I go. saw your dogs on your Instagram. Oh, look at Teddy that just had like back surgery. Boy. He said, poor guy. Oh, I know. That's why he has one chicken leg where the IV was. With IV went in. Yeah, little Lady. guy. He's only three. Poor guy. He's had two back surgeries. Anyway, Aww. that's neither here nor there. Oh, well, Amy, <laughs> it was such a joy to talk to you. And I Thank really you. love Northwoods. Thank you for a beautiful read. I cannot wait. I hope you'll um, keep me in line when it's when the, the sequel comes, because I would love, love, love to read. Oh, for sure. Series, for sure. So. Well, I'm so pleased. Thanks so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on the, the show. I, I really enjoy the podcast, too. I like to hear about the killer women. Thank you. Well, we are. <laughs> yes, we are killer women. And thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today while I spoke with Amy Pease about her debut novel, Northwoods, which I highly recommend. It's out on the 9th from Emily, Emily Bessler Books. You can find it, I'm sure, at 
any of your local bookstores. If they don't have it, you have to ask for it. That's how we get the word out about wonderful books. So mm -hmm. thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye.